Hey, thanks for joining us for Digging Deeper. And we're going to press a little bit into uh, the letter of Jude that we went through in this last Sunday's message. I think I really want to press into verse 3 with that um, call to action that Jude gives us. We talked about he gives us an invitation, the invitation to live in God's grace, which is to have uh, mercy and peace and love multiplied among us in community. And then he gives us this call to action that is um, basically contend for the faith. And then he goes into the process of how we do that. And I think um, it might be helpful for us if we just take a minute and kind of dig into verse 3 a little bit where Jude says, hey, contend for the faith. Um, there's there's a, a lot of things in that, in this sense. I don't think what that phrase meant for Jude is exactly what it means for us. And I think what's happened is we've taken, uh, this is one of those verses we've taken and, and we've put it in our modern context. And so I want to read the verse for you again and then talk through that a little bit. So verse 3 in Jude says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude's saying in that verse, he, you know, my intention was to, to write about the salvation that we share in, but when I got word of some of the stuff that's going on in the church, I felt like I really needed to appeal to you, to exhort you, to invite you, to encourage you to contend for the faith. So the context, we talked about this a little bit in the message on Sunday, but the context was there was uh, some teachings creeping into the church that basically said that because God is gracious and God has poured his grace on us through Jesus, then we don't really need to worry about being obedient. And, and so that was one of the things that was coming in. That's one of the motivations that Jude, um, that caused Jude to say, hey, I'm going to pivot a little bit in the reason I'm writing to you. I'm not going to write to you about the common salvation we share in, but I'm going to write to you about your need to contend for the faith because I've heard that there is some teaching coming in that says obedience is irrelevant because of grace, basically in a nutshell. So... What we have then is Jude saying to people who are believers, probably a Jewish audience, given the number of Old Testament references he makes in the, the letter of Jude, even down to um, references that come out of uh, the Testament of Moses and the book of Enoch, both of which have never been um, really part of the Christian Bible, of the canon of Scripture. So that, that's even a little more evidence that he's probably writing to a Jewish audience who have come believers. Um, and, and so he's saying contend for the faith. Well, notice this. He's saying contend for the faith to people in the church. Okay, that makes sense, right? Why would I invite somebody who's not part of the church to contend for the faith? But he's saying contend for the faith to people who are in the church, and he's saying that they need to do it in the church. He's not saying that they need to contend for the faith outside of the church. In essence, what he's saying is, hey, don't believers, you believers, don't let teachings come in that will pull you off the right path. And those beliefs were coming into the church. So th he's not talking about witnessing. 
he's not talking about apologetics. What he's talking about is fellow believers, professed believers, who are introducing a teaching that goes too far. And, and that goes too far in this regard. It goes too far in grace. Now, I know that sounds like a bit of a paradox, but hear me out. It goes too far in the doctrine of grace in this sense. It drifts towards the idea that who you are becoming is irrelevant. Just go be who you want to be because God's grace will catch all of us anyway. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like something that we hear? Maybe not always in the church, but oftentimes in the culture. But we do hear it in the church, too. There are churches, there are denominations, there are places that teach Christ, that teach Him in a way that says, because God is gracious, don't worry about anything, you're fine. You don't have to commit yourself to Him. You don't have to love Him. You don't have to follow Him. You don't have to seek Him. You don't have to be changed. You just need to know that this big, giant safety net of grace is there. And so go fall as often as you want to fall. It will always catch you. And so in that context, Jude says, contend for the faith. Now, that's the invitation um, for us today. The, the idea of here's the action you need to take is contend for the faith. Now, because he's saying that to people who are already in the church, those of us who are already in the church should read that and say, wait, we got a little bit of a battle on our hands. And so that word contend is a military term. It, it's, it kind of conveys this idea of fighting for, of hand-to-hand -hand combat for. Um, and so that's the action that we have to take is to be able to say, we're going to contend for the faith. We're going to contend for the faith in us. We're going to contend for the truth. We're going to contend for the reality of God. We're going to contend for grace as it is in the person of Jesus Christ, not simply for winning arguments. Now, here's the thing. If we live in grace, if we live in the truth that God is doing in us and for us what we cannot do in and for ourselves, then there is no argument. Think about that. If I am living as if God is working in me, transforming me by His grace, the same grace that saved me is now transforming me, and someone comes up and says, but I don't know why you believe in God, that, that all of this faith stuff is not true. It's a fairy tale. There's no argument I need to engage in. My life stands on its own. Because people don't change for the sake of change. It's actually the opposite. We stay the same for the sake of avoiding change. We're generally creatures of habit. Look at your own life. Look at the things that have become uh, patterns of life that work for you. And think how hard it is to change those things. Whether they're good or bad is irrelevant. But once we get into a place where we're living a lifestyle that tends to work for us, we tend not to change it. And so when we as people of faith have change in our lifestyle, there must be a reason for it. And that reason usually is Christ when that change is positive and good. And, and we can find in that the idea of contending for the faith. And it goes back to those four things we talked about in our message. You've got to build your faith. Um, you have to pray in the Holy Spirit. 
You have to keep yourself in God's love. You have to find hope in the mercy of Jesus. And so what does that look like? I want to press a little bit deeper down into that um, just for a moment so that you can take something that you can say, hey, this can become a lifestyle for me if I'm willing to press into it and seek the change that comes from God's grace. So the first thing is build your faith. Simply put, you know, ask yourself the question, what am I building with my life? Am I building a comfortable existence? Am I building a, uh, a respectable reputation? Am I building wealth? Am I building an image that others can look up to and praise me for? What am I building? Because we're all building something. If you don't think you're building anything, you probably haven't spent enough time being honest with yourself. But if you do a little soul searching, you'll find what you're building. But we're all building something. And so Jude is saying, hey, look, build up your faith. Well, how do we do that? Well, simply put, we establish rhythms in our lifestyle that focus on faith. What do you do with your time? How do you spend your time? What disciplines and practices do you engage in? Are you intentional about it? Are you intentional about using the limited time you have throughout the day to build up your faith, to know God more deeply, to walk with Him more closely, to hear Him more clearly, to love Him more passionately, to serve your neighbors more generously, to grow in Christ more intentionally. What are you doing with your time? How are you spending your day? You know, is it occupied with YouTube and Netflix? Is it occupied with sporting events? Is it, is it occupied with um, hobbies? Or is it occupied with activities that you know build your faith? So, so that's, that's the first thing, the first part of the process here if we're going to take this action of contending for our faith. So who am I contending against? Well, that's me. I'm contending against all the competing desires in my life. I'm contending against all the things in my life that can waste and occupy my time in ways that don't build my faith. So contend for with who? Contend with myself. To do what? To build my faith. The next thing is pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I know a lot of Christians who would be deeply offended if you sat down and started eating before you prayed for your meal. But many of them also spend very little time seeking God's will in prayer. There's a movement in the church of prayer because we, we live in such a hurried and rushed lifestyle now there's a movement of prayer in church that is obligatory, not relational. Praying in the Holy Spirit is relational prayer. It's sitting in God's presence, speaking our heart to Him and listening for His heart to be spoken to us. It's saying, God, my prayers should align me with Your will so that I can walk in it. Instead of saying, God, my prayers should inform You of my needs so that You can meet them. I think that's probably the simplest explanation of praying in the Holy Spirit. It's a prayer that says, God, guide me into prayer. You know, prayer is an act of grace. Apart from God's grace, we couldn't even pray. It's given to us as, as part of His grace. And so to saturate prayer in grace is to use it for God's will, to seek God in it, to let the Spirit lead us into what God's doing. The, the third thing he gives us is keep yourselves in God's love. And that might be one of the hardest things to do because we're surrounded by so many loves. 
And honestly, many of those loves for us are very good things. Family, spouse, work. Those are all good things that, that we want to love and should love. But the idea of keeping ourselves in God's love comes down to this. What's the primary thing? What is it that gets me out of bed every day? If one of my best friends says something hurtful to me, can I put that in the context of God's love for me? Or does it shatter me? And so one of the ways you can tell if you're keeping yourself in God's love is to look at the knowledge that steers your emotions. Here's what I mean by that. If the idea that a friend is upset with me and angry with me steers my emotions more readily, more completely than the knowledge that God loves me, then I probably have placed my priority on that person's love, not on God's love. And I'm not saying we won't feel hurt, we won't feel bad, and we won't feel rejected and even abandoned at times. But if I'm keeping myself in God's love, then God's love for me will be the thing that my emotions are always filtered through. A moment of having my feelings hurt, of being disregarded, of being rejected is still going to hurt, but it's not going to govern my emotional state. I hope that makes sense because I do feel like that's a harder thing to grasp sometimes because we think our emotions are a product of other people's actions when in reality, my emotions are a product of my focus. Think about it. If you're having a day where you're focused on, say, um, a conversation that happened a few days ago where you felt inadequate and you felt judged and you felt dismissed and a friend walks by, doesn't see you and doesn't say good morning, your emotions are going to be governed by that. Your emotions are probably going to be negative. You're probably going to be angry with them. You're probably going to be hurt. Your emotions are going to begin to go into that place of, well, I guess they don't like me. Maybe I don't like them now. But if you are in a place of you wake up in the morning and it's just a good day and you're happy and things are going well and the toast didn't burn and you, the, the, you hit every traffic light on the way to work and it's sunny and the birds are singing and you walk by that same friend and they don't see you and they don't say hello, your emotions are probably going to lead you to a place of going, oh, I guess they just didn't see me. Let me go catch up to them. Let me engage them. See, that's what I mean. The... the Emotions are going to steer, what we're focused on is going to steer our emotions and our moods. If we're focused on God's love for us, if we're keeping ourselves in God's love, do you see how that's going to play out in emotions that don't rule and govern us in a negative way? And then finally he gets to this, finding your hope in the mercy of Jesus. Um, that is said in a very interesting way. And He's saying, wait, wait for the mercy of Jesus, wait for Christ. And in essence, what he's saying is this, what are you looking towards? What are you looking forward to? Are you looking forward to the day of Christ? Are you looking forward to the presence of Christ? Or are you looking forward to the day when you get that pay raise or... Um, you get the new house, or you find the new job, or you know, your kids graduate from school, or, or um, 
you know, something else happens that you think once this gets here, everything will be okay. You know, here's the thing. If we're looking with anticipation towards Jesus, waiting on his mercy, then what's going to happen is this. There's nothing in this world that can shake us. And, and that's contending for the faith. Our lifestyle then becomes a lifestyle of being able to say, I am okay because Christ is Christ. I can stand in that. And that's all of those things together become us contending for the faith. It's a contending for the faith that, that like a battle is something that we engage and we stay in. You know, you, you think about the idea of an army going off to war, they don't come back till it's over. And, and Jude using some military language here in this idea of contend for the faith, what he's saying is, look, you have to go into this battle for the faith in your life, in your heart, in your lifestyle, and don't come back till it's over. And so, so that's the uh, process of contending for the faith. Again, it's not a matter of being able to shoot holes in other people's um, arguments that disagree with us or to be a fine debater or to um, be able to put in the place those who speak poorly of the faith or dis disregard it. It really is a matter of what's in my life and how do I live that out loud so that others can see it. You think about it, that, that's pretty closely related to Paul saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Take it from inside you and push it out into the world. The way we do that is by lifestyle. So that's the encouragement I'd offer you. If you're going to contend for the faith, do it in your lifestyle. And if you're doing it in your lifestyle and the opportunity comes up to do it with your words, you'll do it in a way that's not contentious because we'll all be rooted in love. And so to stand before a person who disagrees with us in the love of God by keeping ourselves in the love of God, we stand before somebody who disagrees with us and that disagreement doesn't turn into an opportunity to have them feel destroyed. It actually becomes a moment where they feel invited into the faith not devastated by the faith. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that's encouraging. I want to invite you to um, take your study guide and, and go through uh, the book of Jude on your own this week. Uh, Pastor James has some great questions, particularly the last one. I want to invite you guys to make sure you get to that last question. Maybe start with his last question this week and work backwards. But um, there's great questions there that will guide you into some hopefully fruitful discussion. So thanks for watching and let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you that your grace is poured out on us as 1 Timothy 2 says, that at the right time, Christ appeared. He appeared as your grace. And so God, this idea of your grace being a bridge to us, but it's a bridge we need to respond to. And so Lord, help us make sure that our response is aligned with what your grace actually is, that they meet that your grace and our response to it are one and the same, that we never distort it, we never minimize it, we never dismiss it, but also, God, that we never just hold on to it, that we let it come out of our lifestyle into the lives of others who are in desperate need of grace. 
And we ask that you would do that in us through this community of believers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and have a great week.